Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we are diving into psychedelic subcultures today, privates. <laughs> we literally never do that at the same time, which I think is the beauty. No, I know. We're bad at it, but that tracks. <laughs> it really does. But I am really excited that, you know, this is part four of our mind trip series. And we are getting in deeper and deeper, and I am loving it. Yeah, so today we have Jesse Jarno. He is a psychedelics journalist and podcaster and really cool dude. And he actually wrote a book called Heads, a biography of psychedelic America. And I think the coolest thing about talking to Jesse was just diving into the subcultures and countercultures of psychedelics and kind of how they overlap. And you know what it really reminded me of, Sophia, is our conversation with Joe Reynolds for the Joe and Yuki episode from Tokyo. Yes, he's also, Joe's also a subcultures researcher. So it's definitely very similar. It's the kind of thing you could spend your whole life researching and never run out of things to I know yeah and I mean a lot of the things that he talked about also touched on other subcultures I'm interested in you know so Uh just like the skater punk thing and also where do black people fit into the history of psychedelics you know things like that yeah totally and you know what I think we need to actually hit up Joe again and maybe even another black psychedelics writer, journalist, to give us kind of the landscape. But I would love to know about psychedelic subcultures in Tokyo. I bet that would be fascinating. Really fascinating because I don't know the legality situation because I know it's really illegal to smoke pot in Japan. So they're probably not that chill about psychedelics. Right. That's my thought. But also we don't know. So that's something we should really look into. That is one of the things with this series that as we go deeper, I'm really excited about is kind of learning the landscape internationally around the world, like what is going on. I know that there is some really interesting things happening in Africa and in the Caribbean and even up in Washington and Oregon. And I'm just really curious to learn about all the hotspots. I also want to know the differences and the similarities between the way that the experiences are conducted. Because, I mean, I think everybody probably agrees that, hey, you know, having like music or, you know, different things that are helpful. I feel like people probably 
across cultures agree on some things a lot, but I'm also very curious to see which things are different because it's like the way that people get into altered mind states varies so widely across cultures. Mm -hmm. I was watching a video today of, I think it was Turkish people. Ah, fuck. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm probably wrong, but it was a video and they basically spin around in a circle for a long time until they achieve this like trance kind of high state. Oh, interesting. You know, which makes sense. But like to me watching them, I was like, oh, I would throw up immediately. But it's like a cultural thing and it's something that they do a lot and it works, you know? So that's kind of what I mean. I'd like to know all the different ways people get there. Yeah, Price is right on that. They're like, you just got to spin around a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, I watched this documentary called Dosed. I really want to have some people from the documentary on the show. But I learned about this super powerful psychedelic called Aboga. And it is highly effective in treating opiate addiction. That would be amazing because we have the biggest crisis right now in, in the United right. States. So aboga, these aboga ceremonies, the reason I thought of it is, you know, you were saying similarities and differences. And there were a lot of similarities, even though aboga originates in Africa. There were a lot of similarities to ayahuasca ceremonies. A lot of the chanting and songs were similar and kind of the atmosphere looked similar. So I thought that was really interesting. And it was also fascinating to learn that it's 10 times, uh, these aboga ceremonies are 10 times more effective than rehab in terms of treating opiate addiction. And then I posted about... That statistic is wild. Isn't it? But I was posting about our series on my social media and a girl that I went to high school with messaged me. And I, I had known that she had gotten sober and she said, you know, I'm sober, but I actually think psychedelics are incredible for recovery and then you know we messaged a little bit more and then she revealed she's like oh i've actually been part of this group psychedelics in recovery or something like that but anyway hopefully we can get a little bit more information on that because i was like ah yes would she be willing to come on the pod you think i uh, she's thinking about it that would be fascinating. Yeah, but it's it's really cool, too, to just know that there are people in, in our lives that have had these experiences, you know? It's like they're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I sent you the article that my friend wrote about her ketamine therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to her. We're definitely going to have her on because she's someone that has struggled with, like, deep-seated anxiety and depression and she wrote this beautiful thing about how it's related to the ancestral trauma, you know, mm -hmm. the Jews have suffered. And it is something that she didn't know how deeply connected it was to how she was feeling until this experience. And she says that it really changed her. So, so much to learn. So much to learn. Yeah, there's so many avenues that we can go down and I hope we can go down with this series. So just... In case you are new to our Mind Trip series, I want to bring you up to speed. We highly recommend starting at the beginning. So our first episode, we talked to the founder and director of marketing at Psychedelic Water, uh, a new brand that is trying to make a name for themselves in the psychedelic space for better or worse. 
Then we also get into Ben Rogel, their director of marketing, his personal experience with psychedelics. And he says it saved his life after he had a concussion and was trying to recover from that. So that's a really interesting conversation. That's our first episode. And then the second episode, we talk a lot about intentions as it applies to ayahuasca ceremonies. And we get the full scoop from our friend Alex about his first ayahuasca ceremony and then integrating that into his life in the four months or whatever it's been since. That is a fascinating conversation. And then in the third episode of our mind trip, I get really vulnerable and I talk about my own ayahuasca experience. Yeah, it was really cool to interview Courtney about it and to just see she was fresh off the experience. So it's a really different vibe and angle than you get from Alex, who's had four months to like uh -huh. reflect and apply. So it's it's pretty amazing. And then Courtney like cries in it and like I, that makes me cry. <laughs> it's truly, really like powerful. One of our privates messaged me and he was like, I was in tears during this episode. So it's a goodie. If you haven't listened, I do recommend, you know, I think you should start at the beginning. I definitely think you should listen to Alex's episode. But if you if you won't do any of that, for sure, listen to mine. <laughs> God damn it. We make this nice series for you. The least you can do is listen. Don't guilt them, Courtney. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you, my mom? You know what I was about? That's so funny that I was just guilting them because what I was about to say to you is, haven't you seen the benefits? Haven't you seen me changed? <laughs> I have. I've seen a lot of benefits. I have seen that you've called me to chat. I was like, who is this? <laughs> Don't act like I never do that, but it's... You know what? Not. The frequency is real pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been nicer and I think I've been nicer to myself, which is clutch. And I think I've been more honest with myself about my... Vices, And I don't just mean like substances. I also just mean like, you know, before we started recording, I was telling Sophia about an incident that was a work situation. That's just learning to like extricate myself from situations that do not serve me. So, I mean, come on. How valuable is that? Yeah. Just listening to the clarity that you have to be like, oh, I don't need this yes. job. It's not worth what it's taking from me because you're a freelancer. You can take many jobs. So I think the confidence that you have now to just discard the things that aren't good for you is like very palpable. Okay. I am psyched to wade a little bit deeper into our psychedelic journey. Yes. But before we do, we do want to say uh, that we are not doctors. We are not psychologists. Everyone's like, what? You probably are so shocked you drove into a tree right now. <laughs> I've been listening to this doctor <laughs> podcast. We're comedians. We're journalists. We're idiots. Um, we're writers. So this is the perspective we bring to this. It is information, entertainment. We're but curious it is, seekers. We're just yeah, trying we're to... Yeah, we're curious seekers, but we're not prescriptive and also definitely do not take psychedelics if you are on SSRIs and you have not talked to your doctor. Generally, if you have any sort of uh, psychiatric condition, um, you should talk to your psychiatrist before you trip. Okay, that's it. 
All right. Without further ado, Jesse Jarno. Emails, groceries, laundry, the list goes on and on. There's a lot that's on your to-do list, but what should be at the top? The answer is you. This year, put yourself first with the help of Dipsy. We love Dipsy. Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories, and now they even have brand new written stories, as if they heard me personally begging on the podcast. (laughs) Well, no matter what format you love or who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring the stories to life. Anytime, anywhere. Just close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. Ooh, love that. And there are hundreds of stories to choose from. And they release new content every week, so there's always more to explore. And they'll even send you a newsletter with updates. Not to mention that they have wellness sessions that will help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off. So for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's dipsystories.com slash private. See you in the sheets. Listen, privates, I get it. Going into a sex shop can be overwhelming. You can spend hours browsing the shelves only to come home and realize you forgot a necessary ingredient for your romantic night. Well, we have a solution for you because Like a Kitten will ship you a box with all your erotic essentials from vibrators and massage oils to robes and handcuffs. It's your one-stop shop for a perfect evening. This month, they're helping you choose your own adventure with their BYOB box, aka Build Your Own Box. That means you get to choose one item out of each of their six categories. Toys, beauty products, lubes and cleansers, games, sexy accessories, ooh, and lingerie. Within each category, you have eight or more products you can choose from, so you can build an experience that's customized to your specific desires. I just got a BYOB box and I got some incredible stuff. I got a robe, I got some much needed toy cleaner, and I got the Pleasure Hunter trio that included this butt plug in the shape that I have been dying to try. And what's amazing is the box only costs $69. Hee <laughs> hee. And some of the vibrators alone retail for more than $69. And what's extra cool is that a portion of sales goes to charity that focuses on women's empowerment, education, and health. So you can feel good about feeling good. And right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash private or enter code private at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash private or use code private to get 20% off these incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash private. The link is in the episode description. Meow. My name is Jesse Jarno. I wrote the book Heads, Biography of Psychedelic America, available from Hachette, wherever uh, books are sold. Keep an eye out soon for um, an audiobook version 
I also host The Frow Show every week, Tuesday nights now, 9 to midnight Eastern time on WFMU, the freeform station of your brain, and uh, co-host the official Good Old Grateful Dead podcast. Hey there. How's it going? Good. Thank you for making time for me. Totally. Hope I can be helpful. <laughs> so I guess I just want to start with what inspired you to write the book and had your personal psychedelics journey started before that or is that related at all? Yeah, it had. It is related. I wouldn't say it was the primary factor, but, um, you know, so I grew up in basically the 90s, you know, I was born in the late 70s and as a teenager in the 90s. And psychedelics were really prevalent in my world, in my high school, in my college. They were just around. And as was the culture that surrounded them. And that was really kind of the visible thing. And that includes deadhead culture, but also all these other psychedelic subcultures that kind of floated around psychedelic metalheads, psychedelic skaters. And it was, you know, it was, it was LSD, it was mushrooms. It was by the time I got to college, um, MDMA was kind of coming into the picture. Uh-huh. And I had read all these, you know, psychedelic history books, you know, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, kind of the starting point, but there's been lots of them. And they all kind of ended around the early 1970s. It was all kind of like the 60s happened and people did right. psychedelics and then they went away or something. Everybody they, they, got they, they, sober. Yeah, or, or you know, or <laughs> then punk, they, they, well, then punk rock happened and whatever, but everybody mm -hmm. kind of ignored that there was this continuing thread that by the 90s was really pretty active. And um, as it turned out, was kind of the second peak of psychedelics in, in the United States, according to like DEA data. And this is, you know, this is LSD, you know, mushrooms, that kind of stuff. And I, I wanted to connect those two points. I wanted to kind of connect my lived experience in the 90s and the 2000s with the origin points or, you know, the transit points, I guess, in the 60s um, and, and the 50s and the 40s. And as I was doing that, I, I started writing the book in 2012 and had been thinking about these topics for like a long time before that. Basically started writing in 2012 and then it came out in 2016. And kind of during that window, there was this huge just explosion of kind of a, a new a new wave, a different wave of psychedelics, you know, connected to what I was writing about, but kind of its own shape and its own movement. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the last, you know, that's really the last like two or three pages of the book, you know, this is... <laughs> But, you know, I feel like their canon should be, you know, like the last basically half decade or more is kind of its own thing and I'm sure will be written about as well. Yeah, it seems like it. So, I mean, I want to get into more of the discoveries of the book, but what have you seen? Because it does seem like there's this revival happening, or I don't even know if that's the right word, but there's a resurgence of some sort. Maybe not. You're making yeah, well, face. I mean, at, at this point, it's sort of beyond resurgence, and it's kind of turned to, it's kind of the, the first stages of, I'm trying to think of the proper verb form, becoming corporate, going corporate, you know, kind yes. of, you know, people attempting to put patents on various, you know, mushroom therapies or, you know, these things that have been just sort of in the tradition, you know, passed down from for years and years and years. And, you know, people are like, you know, cashing in and uh, it's a little weird. It's a lot mm -hmm. weird. It's not I'm not totally cool with all of it. You know, it's just seeing things in mainstream magazines about ayahuasca ceremonies being treated as like 
juice cleanses, basically equating those kinds of things. And it, mm-hmm. it feels it's 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 pretty weird. You know, I'm not I don't and they're probably still going on. But there's a while where, you know, like ayahuasca ceremonies happening just in yoga studios in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. And it, it's all it's very it's present in a way in a different, very different way than it was in the before. And that, you know, that's not all bad for sure, but um, it's definitely fashionable in a different way. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to diagnose that <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, it is reaching some sort of more mass adoption, I think maybe. What are the problematic parts of it? You know, you mentioned patents and I definitely see that kind of trend. And then are there any good Well, I mean, a lot of it, I think, just couples with just the social media explosion of information being instantaneous everywhere and everybody's kind of plugged into the same group mind of being able to find out, you know, seemingly reliable information about this stuff. You know, you can look up papers, you can you can plug into all that. And that's that's I mean, to me, that access to information is, you know, one one upside. But yeah, I guess, I mean, a big difference between what psychedelics were primarily in kind of the underground culture in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and kind of the way they're treated now as sort of this health thing is that they're very institutionalized now. It's now you go, you know, you find a therapist or a partner or a, somebody that you hopefully trust, but it's ultimately kind of an institutionalized form of it. And with institutions come power structures and with power mm-hmm. structures come questions about power and who it is that you're, you know, having this experience with and you're letting guide you through this really powerful experience. But that's the part where it, be, where it does become troublesome. And that, you know, there's a lot of that's definitely a lot of what's coming to light now is just how those structures and powers have been abused over the last half or many decades. And so that I mean, that is a real difference. You know, a, a lot of, I think, psychedelic culture was really just doing it with your friends previously. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, I mean, and, and that's not to say that people did not, you know, people didn't abuse it. They certainly did. There's countless examples of really bad situations that that resulted. But also, ultimately, you know, I feel like friend groups are kind of a safe place to do that kind of thing. And again, I'm talking, you know, kind of the classic LSD mushroom kind of experiences, mm-hmm. not, not speaking for any of the sort of the newer new not newer but um <laughs> uh the more older um, newer older yeah. newer more um mediator guided experiences mediated experiences i suppose and um you know i think a lot i think my interests as a historian and historian if i need to be grammatically correct are in this way that kind of an american psychedelic tradition has formed really around lsd and that's the thing that kind of interests me is because that one doesn't there's no you're not pulling from anybody else's tradition with that, you know, or I mean, you can, you can, but you're not usurping anybody or displacing anybody by, by engaging with it, which is something that I think is extremely fascinating about that. Cause all, everything else there's, you know, pl- like traditional, traditional yeah. plant medicines, there's, you know, you're, you're reckoning with a lot of historical and other forces mm-hmm. and, you know, do it with respect. And that's lots of people do that for sure. But that, that is a, a difference as well. Yeah, totally. So I, full disclosure, did my first ayahuasca ceremony this past weekend. Yeah. Most of my previous experience had been with psychedelics has been more recreational. And I had like a great, it was somewhere, my friend had gone and it was like a great guide situation. But 
I don't know, preparing for the experience and then going through it, even though I had a great experience, did make me realize some of the things that you're you're saying, just like the potential for there to be this abuse of power or like cultishness. Right. And guides are cool. Like, you know, having somebody with you who knows the the terrain is a fantastic thing. That's, you know, that is something that stretches. That is pretty universal across these, you know, across mm-hmm. these cultures. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's who that person is and what intentions they're coming in with, what intentions you're coming in with. Just, you know, it's, the, you know, and that's kind of the thing is that I think there's a lot of, there's that makes me suspect of a lot of, you know, patenting mushrooms or even therapeutic procedures is that it's so different for everybody. You know, every substance just, you know, and I know there's studies about, you know, you can calculate down to the body weight or the the whatever, mm-hmm. but it's just, it just seems so fundamentally different from person to person that I can't really get my head around the idea that there's, there's some like, yeah. way to regularize it but i but i've stayed that's not my world but that's just <laughs> that's just one head's take yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay so i interviewed someone and this person founded a a psychedelic a company called psychedelic water and they had trademarked the name psychedelic the word psychedelic around the world And he said it and he was so excited, right? And as a business opportunity, yeah, that's a great business opportunity. But I don't know if you should be able to trademark psychedelic around the world. And I feel like that's like a little bit of what you're talking about with the corporatization. Yeah, that's... um that's a lot what I'm talking about with the corporation. I'm sorry. It just it it just makes me think of um it's actually an outtake from the movie Spinal Tap. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this as Spinal yeah. Tap, the great mock. It's so they're they're being interviewed and they're, you know, it's like a 60s press conference, you know. They're just being spaced out, you know, air is a drug, water <laughs> is a drug, if you think about it. You know, cigarettes are a drug. That's true. So we all use them here. Water's a drug. That's true. Hydrogen, hey, oxygen, Did you know simple. you get in the morning and you put water on your face and that's a drug? Yeah. That's the strongest the drug. drug of all. You're it wakes you up, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, so psychedelic. Yeah, but that's, that, you know, that's basically exactly what I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm pretty sure I've been advertised that product in yes. social media form and I don't know what it is. And it was kind of just like, I'm going to, I don't want to go. I'm just, I'm going to go buy that. Keep scrolling. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? It is, it uses kava. Okay. And there's like a, maybe a very light kind of effect. And I didn't dislike it, but I don't know. I can't say that it was like a psychedelic experience necessarily. Yeah. I mean, that you have calling, yeah, calling a product that is kind of suspect <laughs> to me. I think they're preparing for what is to come. But like you say, I mean... That was one of the things in that interview where it almost like it started this series in a way because I was like, ah, there are so many opportunities to take this the wrong way, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, so one thing that I will say is related to maybe my interest in psychedelics is my interest in science fiction and, and dystopias 
And things like this are providing, you know, I can appreciate it on a content level. Like it's, I can pr- appreciate the surrealism of it, 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 just that this is where the world is at right now, because it's not just in psychedelics, you know, the whole world is fucking insane. And, right. But this is certainly, you know, the local manifestation, if I can consider some part of the psychedelic community to be my home. It's real fucking weird, but it's pretty funny, too. Hey, fellas, when was the last time you took care of your skin? How about the skin of your cock? Well, rejuvenate your golden rod with the ultimate skincare for men. Original Boner Gel. Original Boner Gel is the most advanced luxury skincare product for men, specifically targeting your skincare needs below the belt. And OBG's naturally inspired breakthrough formula uses collagen, organic vitamin E oil, apple stem cells, and Butia Superba to remove wrinkles and make your cock look beautifully hydrated and 10 years younger. I love a young looking, beautifully hydrated cock. And the delicious smell of original boner gel, OBG gets me horny immediately. It is an aphrodisiac for your partner because it's made from the finest essential oil. Ooh, you know what I like about OBG? It can also function as a high quality oil-based lube. I feel like the lube benefit is maybe the best thing OBG has going for it. It's like, how many functions can a boner gel have? I mean, so many. And... Privates, we have a deal for you because Original Boner Gel is offering our listeners 20% off your order when you go to OriginalBonerGel.com and enter code PRIVATE at checkout. That's OriginalBonerGel.com and use code PRIVATE to get 20% off your new favorite dick skincare. OriginalBonerGel.com, code PRIVATE. Rub it. Chub it. Squirt it. Ow! Soph, I just learned... So much stuff you're going to want to know about squirting. Oh my God. Tell me everything. Where did you learn this? Okay. So there's this site called Beducated. It is like the Netflix of sexual wellness. No joke. They provide techniques and information so that you can level up your love life. And they offer an expert backed library of courses from Tantra to kink to explore new practices and upgrade your lovemaking skills. Yes, they believe that sexual happiness is trainable, which I love. And they're just a really cool online course platform that has easy to follow video, audio, and written guides. You get unlimited access to their online courses, plus 100 hours of video and audio content and tips from world-renowned educators with new content every week and high-quality streaming on all devices. Yeah, I mean, I am just getting started on Beducated and I have already learned so much stuff that is taking my relationship and my sex life to the next level. So, privates, here's a hot tip. You can join Beducated for as little as $9.99 per month when you use our code PRIVATE. That's 65% off when you use our coupon code PRIVATE at Beducated.com. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A. TED.com and use code private. The link is in our episode description. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. We've got some problems in the current landscape, obviously, (laughs) that we've addressed. (laughs) So let's go back. But yeah, I mean, I do want to emphasize that, that, you know, that community aspect is a powerful thing that there are, you know, the upshot of all the social media and current internet is that 
far-flung communities can find each other. And that's, you know, so far beyond psychedelics. That's subcultures, that's countercultures, that's whatever it is. And, you know, that's all, that can also be a downside. But in, in the terms of psychedelic community, I think it's, it's pretty solid. Yeah, I think that's a big upside in my experience. So... Can you give us the, it's a big book. It's a really yeah, big yeah. book. <laughs> so maybe true. just the Cliff's notes <laughs> of some of the most surprising, interesting things that you learned while writing this. Uh, I mean, that's a lot. That's, that was, you know. I know you did like 500 pages. Part of the reason for me to write these things is to, is that hopefully every page is that for me is something that I, that blows my mind that I did not know before. Yeah, I mean, I guess to me, the goal for the book was to really be able to connect these scenes from, you know, piece by piece from the 50s and 60s up to the present moment and kind of find these little hidden connection points. And one, you know, a community that surprised me was this um, graffiti community in New York that was sort of based around Central Park. That were also kind of an East Coast, West Coast uh, acid connection, where they were basically meeting up with these suppliers out on the West Coast who weren't the chemists necessarily, definitely weren't the chemists, but were, you know, just higher up on the chain than these guys in Central Park. And Central Park, literally being Central Park, became this distribution point for like the Manhattan, you know, New York, Brooklyn, Queens, tri-state area in, in the 60s. And people would gather at the bandshell in Central Park. And that was if you wanted to, you know, get LSD. That was where you could go. And um, it was a, this really like uh, generation of lost youth kind of hanging out there, like really early skateboarders, early uh, ultimate Frisbee players, or I guess it wasn't even ultimate <laughs> Frisbee, just Frisbee players. And these graffiti artists who, you know, went down into the, into the New York subway and tagged up cars. And they were kind of the, you know, they, they basically the hippie contingent of the graffiti world. They were, you know, and the, the white hippie contingent of the graffiti world. But they, for them, and that was important to kind of like, you know, we are a, commu we are a community among, you know, Latinx communities and black communities who are part of this underground art scene, literally underground art scene. And they were really good. Uh, kind of their hero, sort of the first one was this guy, LSD Ohm. His name is Chad, Chad Stickney, who's a um, fantastic artist. And he was actually doing graffiti in the late 60s when it was just kind of like you write your, it was just really writing your name and a number on the wall, like nothing, nothing fancy. Uh. And he was kind of part of the generation that kind of went from that into kind of these blown out cartoon things you know, like really kind of putting work into a piece. And he was also the first connection between Central Park and what turned out to be this group called the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, which were the, the LSD suppliers out on the West Coast. And he kind of helped establish that connection and also kind of helped pioneer this generation of graffiti. Um, and he moved on pretty quick. He got out of the, the LSD game, you know, I think by the time he turned like 18 or 19, and did graffiti for a few more years after that, but then kind of, you know, moved on. But really, all the, the, the generations that followed in Central Park always talked about, oh, yeah, LSD Ohm, he was, he was our man. And, um, yeah, he kind of starts this, this line. And that line, so the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, they were an LSD distribution organization and also um, smuggled hash back and forth. And they got officially busted in 1972. Two. And they were, you know, it was kind of this worldwide sting. There's a couple of, of excellent documentaries about that. 
But these guys in Central Park had connected with them in, in 1970, obviously long before this, this bust. And their connection continued past this bust into the 80s and 90s. So to me, they're like this missing link where it's like, okay, you know, officially the Brotherhood of Eternal Love disappeared in 1972, but these guys sort of testify that no, it just sort of morphed into something more underground and less, you know, less obvious, less named, perhaps. And yeah, that was kind of, that was sort of a mind-blowing moment for me was to to be able to like do that. And that's sort of what I meant about how like all the books that I read in, you know, high school and college, kind of the story sort of ends in the early 70s. That's like uh-huh. really how they, a lot of the men with the Brotherhood of Eternal Love getting busted, but it's, you kind of see these threads that, that don't actually disappear. I love how you threaded the needle on that. So <laughs> the Venn diagram, so you're talking about graffiti and LSD, the Venn diagram of it. And I, one thing I did notice during my ceremony was the Venn diagram of other subcultures. So I was like, oh, there are a number of poly people here. There are a number of, you know, vegan people, whatever. There are different cultures that kind of gravitate to these drugs. And I'm curious if you noticed other things like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think this is true of the Grateful Dead world, which is, you know, more than adjacent to the LSD world is really like very intimately connected, is that there are all inclusive big tents and that they really attract outsiders. That's a just a, you know, and that's a thing of, you know, that's subcultures. That's, you know, really what subcultures are is, you know, sort of outsiders kind of gathering together. Mm-hmm. But psychedelics really are a certain kind of people who are curious about that. And, you know, that's not all psychedelic users. It's not a, you know, 100% thing, but there's a, I think there's probably a curiosity that kind of, that does end up being a linkage point. And that is my interest in psychedelics is sort of this, you know, the way these kind of subcultures and countercultures kind of overlap and, you know, create this thing. And you see that really, that's, you know, the sixties, the sixties, man, <laughs> not, that, not that I was there, but you know, the, the that that's, a th- you know, there's one narrative of the sixties and the seventies. That's very, you know, the baby boomer, long haired flower children narrative. But the thing that, you know, you looking through underground papers from the sixties and seventies, you really see this like coalition building, you know, of like oh. the idea that like, these underground newspapers are like our identity is kind of psychedelic, long haired, radical freaks. But there's an attempt to kind of like, you know, make things open for, you know, indigenous communities or, you know, gay and lesbian communities. And you see that in these in the under, in underground newspapers. And it's, you know, it's, it's an imperfect attempt, but it's really, you know, it's pretty earnest and, mm-hmm. and it's pretty it is real. And, it, you know, that's the part of the, the counterculture that grows out of um, the civil rights movement and, you know, all the left-wing movements that kind of came out of the really, you know, commie, you know, communists and socialists and 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 the folk world of the the American folk world of the 40s and 50s going into the 60s. So that's like kind of an earlier part of the continuum. Ed Sanders is the uh, the founder of the Fugs, who are the, like a Lower East Side early kind of psychedelic punk band. And he's um, also a poet and a historian and has written this massive book, uh, basically his uh, history of the United States in verse. And he sort of talks about the forces of peace and, you know, the forces of war. And he, he sort of attempts to sort of trace the forces of peace and what he calls that, you know, going back to, you know, the abolitionist movement and kind of every movement. 
Um, and it, it is pretty adjacent to um, like Howard's Inn's People's History of the United uh-huh. States. And yeah, so in some ways, when the site you see the psychedelic moment, it's like colliding with all this other decades and decades and decades of undergrounds. And it's still that, like, and that's that's the that's the continuity that I that I really see. And it's part of what makes the corporate stuff a little more unsettling is because there is a lot of the psychedelic underground community really does identify with that kind of bigger tent inclusivity that mm-hmm. feels very off from you know psychedelic water you know which i guess is inclusive if you can just go buy it but it's still kind of like it's you know the corporate corporate inclusivity is a little (laughs) yeah well i feel like i don't know we might be about to make a reckoning with our capitalist consumption i don't know but i can only hope (laughs) yeah is there anything else that you found that you felt like was misunderstood about psychedelics while you were working on the book I think the idea that there was a, a continuous culture was maybe misunderstood. That's sort of the experience that I grew up with was that it was just kind of like, you know, people who use psychedelics were reprobates. They were borderline criminals and or actual criminals, you know, in, in, in the cases of a lot of people who went to jail. And that's really changed. And that that's the, the extent of that that change has has shocked me. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, growing up in the 80s and 90s like i never thought weed would be legal like right. and 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 you know <laughs> which makes you know not that you know not that psychedelics are like fully over the counter legal in the same way weed is now but like i couldn't even conceive of that when i was in high school and now it's you know man that that does make me feel old but it's it's <laughs> no <fine>. totally <laughs> When you can go into a store, you're like, wait, what? Is this my right. middle school fantasy? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. At least the upside of, and this, and this is, you know, people have talked about this for years, is that psychedelics do prepare you for a lot of weird things in terms of the way, you know, the culture might evolve. So <laughs> I'd like to say nothing would surprise me, but I don't want that. I do like being surprised. So <laughs> I'm sure it's just going to get weirder from here. It's like I... I'm yeah. sure the psych- I'm sure the psychedelic psychedelic waters of the world are just just the beginning. Yeah, I'm really curious in learning more about I need to talk to some people about like these patents and like how much they can really fuck shit up. What are who are your biggest psychedelic heroes in this space <laughs> or people that haven't like been problematic? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, try not to have heroes, I suppose, but um yeah, I don't That's know. So I don't know. I, 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 yeah, yeah. It <laughs> doesn't work. It's really not. It's not actually a successful life strategy. But it's it's at least a thing to think about. Um, I don't know. Is <laughs> the answer? Everybody's problematic. But um, as a book recommendation and a writer recommendation, I love Eric Davis. I'll, I'll always always rep for Eric Davis. Oh, what's what's his deal? He oh, I mean, he he wrote a great book called High Weirdness. Um, and he's just a he's he can just the way I'm stuttering and and false starting he can just speak off the top of his head in these brilliant jewels of thought that uh that, that blow my mind um he, he's just a really lovely guy i mean we're also buddies but he's a he's a, a brilliant writer and podcaster and thinker and everything else amazing i'm gonna have to check him out okay so i guess is there anything else you feel like i should have asked you or you think <laughs> i should know about this uh, no i don't know no um you seem to be on the right path i don't like prescribing things everybody's got their own their own path into things and i hope psychedelics continue to be that and not just a thing that you you know 
I'll take medium large and then go from there. You know, right. like I like I, venti ayahuasca trip. <laughs> yeah. Like I like, you know, I do like the idea that everybody, I mean, it does seem important that everybody navigates it in their own way. And that, you know, whether it's, you know, finding your way to ayahuasca or finding your way to something else, I hope it's never a one size fits all. That's kind of my, <laughs> my feelings about things. Amen to that. I love an individualized approach to everything. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, private. So we have another episode of Mind Trip coming up for you shortly. But in the meantime, we recommend going back if you haven't already listened to the first three episodes. Uh, it's been a really interesting exploration so far and they kind of build on each other. So definitely go back, listen to the psychedelic water episode, listen to Alex on ayahuasca with intention and listen to me cry on the <laughs> third mind trip episode. Seriously, if that is your kink, you're going to love this <laughs> You're going to love this episode. I think I cried twice. <laughs> I know. It's pretty great. I'm like, oh my God, she's vulnerable. <laughs> You guys are sick. Is it sick that I was using my vibrator while you were crying? Is that yes, sick? That's extra sick. <laughs> I was like, yeah, emote for me, baby. <laughs> Please write in if that's what you're doing. Or actually don't. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. How about you just let me know? I'll choose to pass that on to Courtney or not as I see fit. <laughs> Okay, privates, we have a big favor to ask you. We need your help getting some podcast. And if you're like, what the fuck is podcast? Okay, Courtney, I'll fill you in. Tell them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, podcast is a source of podcast funding that we are up for. And it is sponsored by Racket, this new short form audio app. It's pretty cool. I downloaded it. Check it out. And also Stir, which is a money management app. And they are doing this thing called Podcast, where they are funding small to medium podcasters. And that's us. And we need the help because, listen, if you listen to the show, you know we run ads on this show, but it's not enough to cover our expenses. We try to bring you guys really awesome content, and it costs money to do that. We pay our editor, Mike. We pay our social media queen, Holly, and anyone else who's not us who's involved in the show and is on our team. And we also want to take a trip to Antarctica. Sophia, how bad do we want to go to the South Pole? Yo, we have been talking about this for so long because we've read that people in Antarctica fuck and we, <laughs> they fuck. So we need to investigate this. Like who is going to bring you that information? Those National Geographic scientists and wildlife photographers are crazy and we got to get the scoop. I just listened to this Tim Ferriss episode where he interviews Sue Flood and she is a wildlife photographer and that shit is fascinating. They're talking about all the wildlife down there, just being down there and the kind of like research societies that they build down there. It's fascinating. And the trek to get down there is a whole journey in and of itself. 
And we want to bring you along for the ride. We want to leave you messages on Racket. We want to make amazing podcast episodes for you and help you feel like you really got to go there yourselves. And to do that, we need you to write us some love letters. The love letters can be short as hell, like a tweet, essentially size, you know, just you can say anything as specific as you want or as general as I love this podcast. I learned so much or they make me laugh. I want Courtney and Sophia to take me to the South Pole. I loved their abortion monologues episode. Hey, I'm loving the mind trip series. Anything. Literally five words. That's all we need from you. But you need to click the link in the bio to go to our podcast link and write us a love letter. You only have 180 characters when you get there. Again, we'll settle for five words. We'll take a heart. We'll take a smiley face. But it's super simple and it's going to help us make the show so much better. Okay, so cost money to make nice things. Help us get it. Thank you, privates. We appreciate you. (laughs) And, you know, I say, why not kill two birds with one stone? So if you wrote us a beautiful love letter for the podcast, why don't you just copy and paste that bitch? Take it over to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Plop it in there as an amazing review and give us five stars. I mean, how incredible would that be, Sophia? Truly, it is, you know, it's a twofer. How could you say no? It's a double <laughs> threat. You you got to do it. <laughs> We would super appreciate it. And especially if you are on Spotify, they just started taking ratings for podcasts on Spotify. So if you are listening on Spotify right now, all you have to do is go up to the upper left-hand corner. There will be a little star. You can click on that. Give us five stars. And it helps other people find the show. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb-ass music? This bomb-ass music is by our bomb-ass friend, Amy Rosh. You should check out her music on her website. It's amyraasch.com. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We Mike, call. Hello, Michael. Mike. Michael, I bought you a muffin. I was loving you. Thank you. Midnight. Michael. <laughs> this is where we get out all of our weirdness. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> And worse. <laughs> it's just really for us. Um, hey, we also want to shout out our amazing new designer, Giselle Bates. If you are loving the Mind Trip art as much as we are, you're definitely going to want to check her out on social media. It's Giselle Bates, G I S S E L E Bates on Instagram. Her art is bomb diggity. We are very old. That's why she said it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Listen, the Super Bowl's for me and my old old timey friends. (laughs) Me and my hips were really out of. We're here to listen to Mary J. Blige, the number one recording artist of our days. Listen, I was getting up in the dancery. You don't even know. You couldn't tell me nothing. There was no hateration. Just me and my broken hip. (laughs) I got out of my hip replacement surgery. I was like, I need to listen to some Mary J. Blige. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we are old, but whatever. 
<laughs> and that is why we have an amazing social media manager to help us out. Her name is Holly Brown, and she also helps us with the newsletter, and she's just all around awesome. And she's a comedian who's super funny, so you should check out Holly Brown Comedy and her show, Salty AF Show, on IG. And join us again next time for another episode of Mind Trip. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>